And welcome to the Roadie on the Horn podcast. My name, as always, Donovan. You can call me Don if you want to. And I'm here with my co-host, Ryan. Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I will call you Donnie. Donnie, I'm, do- I'm doing great, so thank you for asking. Really excited to be recording another podcast with you today. One of my highlights of the week, always. I love just, you know, chatting about sports. A lot of stuff has happened since we last recorded, Donnie. A lot of things in the NHL. A lot of things. Baseball is coming up. A lot of things about football. So, yeah, really excited to get into it, as we always do. Of course. Um, you know, sports in general, there's just, you know, some weeks we have literally nothing to talk about, and then we just spew about questions. This week we actually have, like, interesting things to talk about. Um, is there anything that you want to start with particularly? You know, that, that that's a good thought. I, I definitely want to start with the National Hockey League. I feel like there was a lot of news in the last week about teams doing things in the NHL. And you know what, I'll start with the Chicago Blackhawks, actually. Of course, you know, you guys know my favorite team. There was news coming out this week about the Blackhawks with Brent Seabrook, one of their best defensemen in franchise history. He is retiring, but he's not officially retiring, so the Blackhawks don't get the recapture salary cap penalties. So, yeah, really fun. Love talking about long-term injured reserve. Yay! What a fun topic. I say that kind of sarcastically, but I actually am really interested in this uh, kind of area. So it seems like the Blackhawks are going to be able to get a, a, lot, a little bit of cap relief for Brent Seabrook's uh, $6.8 million cap hit that was always way overpaid. Um, so he's not officially retiring, but they're going to be able to place him on LTIR. But great career for Brent Seabrook. Really glad to have watched a lot of his career with the Blackhawks. So uh, kind of unfortunate. seems like uh, it was just the issue with his hip. That is going to keep him out. So uh, he has like no cartilage left in his hip, unable to kind of turn and pivot out there. I mean, uh, anyone who's really kind of followed the Blackhawks knows that Seabrook's play has kind of declined the last couple of years. So it's kind of unfortunate to uh, have this be the way that it kind of ends. But I definitely appreciate all that kind of Brent Seabrook did. So uh, really great Blackhawk. I think back definitely to to 2013 when he scored the game-winning goal against the Detroit Red Wings in Game 7. That was uh, one of the best, you know, moments that that I've had as a Blackhawks fan. So a lot of respect for Brent Seabrook. Sad to see him go, but uh, at the same time, I'm excited, I guess, about the the salary cap relief. (laughs) So that's kind of an interesting situation. But uh, how about you, Donnie? What were some of your thoughts when you found out about uh, Brent Seabrook uh, retiring, even though it was unofficially retiring? So it's really interesting for me specifically because I kind of saw like a similar or I felt similarly about Henrik Lundqvist retiring or, or leaving the Rangers and getting bought out and then not having an issue finding a team. And then now he's got the heart issue and everything. Um, I think it just makes you think back more more than anything about players that are iconic or players that you grew up watching. Um, you know, it's really you're lucky to be able to have witnessed uh, multiple Stanley Cup runs where Seabrook was if not an elite defenseman, a very close to elite defenseman for a, a chunk of his career. And I think that in itself, although it's it's very sad to see players deal with injuries down the stretch, obviously, like you've seen guys like Hosa who who have had um, uh, career-ending injuries or whatever whatever that may be. Um, it, it's, it's really, you have to just, I think it's good to just settle down a little bit and really look back at the fact that you have witnessed so many good memories with so many good players. It's like, you know, obviously, Brent Seabrook's career, it has declined a lot recently. And I think you're you're probably happy to see him retire now rather than watch him decline even further. That may be a little bit, like, short-sighted, in my opinion, like, with my thought or anything. But 
I don't know. I think you'd probably rather see a guy retire and just end his career in a positive manner rather than watch him slowly get even worse or like deal with injuries for the next three years. Yeah, I think that's a fair way to kind of look at it. Uh, you know, like I said, Seabrook's play had been, you know, kind of declining the last couple of years. The Blackhawks looking to use some of their younger defensemen, which they've been able to do this year with Bodan and Mitchell. You still obviously have Boquist in his second year. So a lot of young defensemen that the Blackhawks really want to do a good job at developing. But I think, you know, it, it's kind of cliche. I think the Blackhawks maybe overvalue leadership uh, a little bit. Uh, but I think Brent Seabrook at the same time, he, he was someone that, you know, really kind of set a foundation for, for that Blackhawks locker room, at least from the outside perspective. Um, that's definitely what it seemed like, just someone who always came to work and, and respected um, the game, someone that um, was, was just a great guy to have in your locker room. So um, I think that's kind of a little bit unfortunate for, for how it's kind of, you know, wound down the rest of Seabrook's career. But um, yeah, as you said, definitely, definitely good to kind of highlight the positives there. It could definitely be worse. Like, I think there's always, um, you have to have a realization in the back of your head that players are going to age regardless of with, whether you want them to or not. Obviously, uh, both you and I are in similar situations. Like, we've seen the core of our teams I, I grow up with us, maybe. Like, maybe, maybe not the best way to put it, but it's like, I, I became a Rangers fan very early on in Henrik Lundqvist's career, for example. You've been watching the Blackhawks since the start of the dynasty, um, before the start of the dynasty. So, I mean, it's like you take the go with the bad, I think, in situations like this. Obviously, you would love to see a guy like Brent Seabrook play out his career and go to another Stanley Cup and win another Stanley Cup. But still, you have to look back and say it is one of the, the more successful careers that um, we've seen out of a, a an NHL defenseman in, in quite a long time. So, I mean, take the go with the bad. Obviously, glass, has, uh, gla glass half empty, half full. Um, you know, it, it could be worse. It definitely could be worse. And I mean, I, I guess, uh, you know, you, you look at it and you're, you're happy just as the fact that you got to watch such a good career. I mean, it's like, there's always positive takeaways there. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah, I guess kind of just last note from me on this, the Blackhawks right now on long-term injured reserve have Jonathan Taze, Brent Seabrook, Alex Nylander, Kirby Doc, Andrew Shaw, and Zach Smith whose cumulative cap hit adds up to $26.3 million. The Blackhawks have almost like over a quarter of their available salary cap on long-term injured reserve right now. Like, this is just ridiculous how much the Blackhawks have uh, as potential cap that they could be adding. So, you know, we'll see if the Blackhawks are able to kind of make a splash at uh, the deadline now that they have kind of this available money that they're able to use midseason with long-term injured reserve. So, um, kind of an interesting situation there. I guess we'll follow it. But, yeah, I mean, I don't view that necessarily as a good thing as having all these, you know, pretty good forwards on long-term Oh, of course, reserve, of course but, not. Uh, of course not. Yeah, that, that's the situation that they're in right now. You know, at least the Chicago Blackhawks are currently a playoff team uh, by by a considerable amount, I think. I think they're like up five points on Columbus last time I checked, which is, you know, you can't really complain about that, right? Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. All right, uh, good, good analysis uh, on the Hawks there. Yeah, I, I, we'll get into that a little bit later. I think uh, one other team situation that I want to get into in the NHL, uh, kind of here at the start, is the Calgary Flames. We mentioned on our last podcast, we talked about the Montreal Canadiens firing their head coach, Michel Therrien. We saw another coaching change in Canada for the Calgary Flames, who are definitely underachieving this year, not in a, currently in a playoff spot in the Canadian division. They're in the five spot in that division right now. They end up firing their coach at the end of a win and then hire Daryl Sutter to a three-year deal in the middle of, of the season. So 
I don't know what to think of the Calgary Flames. I was a little bit surprised. I think the best available coach is still Gerard Gallant. I don't know how Gerard Gallant still is not a head coach in the NHL right now, considering there's a lot of other head coaches that are that I'm very surprised about. So that was a little bit part was surprising to me. But, I mean, hey, Daryl Sutter, he did win two Stanley Cups for the LA Kings. So you can see that situation for the Flames. But at the same time, I still feel like Calgary's issues is more than just man the, the man behind the bench. I don't think that roster has enough flair to where I can be viewing them as a contender right now. They were able to add Mark Sherman free agency to maybe give them a little bit of goaltending help. But still, overall, I see Calgary just as such a middling roster. There's, you know, a little bit of upside. I really like Matthew Kachuk having a pretty good year this year. Uh, still just 23 years old. But, you know, just throughout that roster, I just don't see it enough to where that a coaching change is going to really make that big of a difference for Calgary. And I think they're just in such a frustrating spot that they're, you know, not bad enough to suck, but they're they're kind of just in that middling state that we talk about so much, Tony. Yeah, and I mean, I think you could probably look back at the last couple of years and really analyze that the fact that they may have overperformed a little bit more than we expected them to, and they may be hitting a regression period, which was kind of maybe more expected than anything. It's like two years ago, they were a 107-point team. They won the Pacific, lost in the first round of the Avalanche uh, in the playoffs. Last year, they were on pace for another 100-point season or very close to it, um, ended up third in the Pacific, beat the Jets in the qualifying round, and lost to the Stars, who ended up making the Stanley Cup final. Um, and this year, first off, the offense isn't there, which is surprising considering this is a team that is, I would say, built more to score than to do anything else. Obviously, you've got guys like Gaudreau. Kachuk is very good. Monahan's had a good year. Um, Lindholm's almost point per game. And yet you get to the point with the Flames where they're just like, as you said, middling in a division where they should be. I think probably in terms of roster talent, they I think they have the second best team in, in the Canadian division by... Maybe not that much, but a considerable enough amount where they should be a playoff spot guarantee almost. Um, as we've seen, teams like Montreal are not very good. I, we, we've seen time and time again, they're not very good. Winnipeg, not great. Uh, Vancouver's having an awful year too. Um, you think Calgary would be able to maybe, I don't know, take advantage of a mediocre division and really like make a run. But at this point, it's kind of surprising to me. And, you know, it's like every time you look back at that division, there's always going to be surprises there. It's not like, but it's not like they've had bad performances out of guys like Markstrom, for example. He's over a 9-10 save percentage, which is, I'd say, pretty much the league average. And, and maybe in the Canadian division, probably a little bit above average, considering the goalies in that division are awful. And then you sit there and watch them hire a guy who has been out of hockey for, for a, a good amount of time. Um, I, don't, I don't think Sutter has coached since 2016, 2017. So, I don't know. I definitely agree with you on Gallant. Um, it's really shocking to me that even a guy that hasn't had any success, he hasn't had much success in terms of winning the playoffs, but he is a regular season coach and he is the guy that would, I, I would bet considerable amount of money on to where he could bring my team back. Um, yet we have Daryl Sutter. I don't, I don't have any real opinion on this. I don't know what to say. Cause it's like Daryl Sutter's gotta be, he's gotta be in his sixties and he's gotta be, uh, he's been out of the league for a while. So, um, Obviously, Calgary's been okay with Sutter as the coach through four games, but still, like, what do you say about this? Yeah, very strange to me, and this is Daryl Sutter's second stint as Flames head coach. He was the Flames head coach earlier uh, this decade, so uh, kind of interesting. Back for his second stint with the Flames as Daryl Sutter, but uh, yeah, it, it was just kind of a strange move to me. I don't think that the move behind the bench is really going to change much for Calgary. I, like I said, I, I think we're kind of in a similar state with, with kind of the middling roster, but yeah, I mean, yeah, and I'm glad you agree with me about Gerard Gallant, too. I mean, he did take Vegas to the cup final in his first year. Like, I feel like they at least showed in a little bit of, of kind of that playoff success, and I know Daryl Sutter won two cups and definitely have a lot of respect for that but 
Um, I just, I'm just skeptical with, with what Calgary's doing kind of as a whole. Like I just, I just don't see them as a team that's in a position to either get closer to contend or closer to rebuild. They're just in that middling state that I thought I would uh, at least mention here at the start. They are this year's Minnesota wild. And I mean, like, you know, that's fine. Have fun. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's when, when you start having seasons like this, it's when you start tearing down your team. And if Calgary starts to tear down their roster, they start to make like these little, uh, I don't know, these crazy experimental trades. Um, I don't know. You could see a lot of Flames fans getting pissed off. I mean, I'd be pissed off as a Flames fan in general at this point, seeing they're mediocre and they're still employing guys like Milan Lucic, who is, is still a fine player, but it's like, I think we need to get get away from the Milan Lucic era of hockey. I think we need to start, you know, t- talent over everything at this point. Yeah, Lucic is kind of that classic example of what I look at for these Western Canada teams that are still valuing <laughs> that Milan Lucic should be someone that is playing on our third line and has a cap at over $5 million. But, I mean, Calgary, I mean, when is your window going to hit? You have Goudreau and Matthew Kachuk, who are free agents at the end of 22. Matthew Kachuk is a res- restricted free agent, but you got Monaghan expiring in 2023. You have Giordano, another guy, expiring 2022. So um, just a lot of kind of uncertainty for Calgary right now. So kind of an interesting situation that they're able to make that change behind the bench. But, um, yeah, that, that's pretty much my analysis on that, Donnie. Uh, one, uh, or actually, I guess a few more notes on NHL for me before we kind of move on here. The draft lottery. We actually got some proposed changes for the NHL draft lottery that come in, could come into effect depending on a NHL Board of Governors vote. I thought these were kind of interesting ones, so I'll kind of read them off here. There's three different proposed changes for the NHL draft lottery. The first one being that teams are limited to no more than two lottery wins in a five-year period. Currently, there is no restrictions on how many times a team can win a lottery uh, in a a five-year period. The next one being that a team is only allowed to jump 10 spots with a lottery win. I believe it's 12 or 13 spots currently. And then there's also a reduction in the number of picks decided in the lottery from three to two. So before in the NHL, we were doing lotteries for picks one, two, and three. And then this proposed change would mean we're just having a lottery picks one and two. So these were kind of interesting changes for me. Donnie, anything of those three stand out to you? Um, I See, I don't think that there was that much need to change the lottery, to be honest. Like, obviously, we've seen... Um, people are not thrilled with how it works when their team doesn't get a good pick. That's kind of just how, how things go. Um, and if you're, if you're a Red Wings fan, like, you know, fine power to you to be angry, but I don't think anybody else really has any, they don't, they don't have any qualms with this, that there shouldn't, you shouldn't be pissed off by, by what's happening here. It's like time and time again, I think we've seen the number one team, the worst team in the league, not win the lottery more oftentimes than not. Um, it's like obviously we saw Detroit drop. Um, we've seen Ottawa drop a couple of times. Buffalo has dropped a couple of times. Um, but and I, I don't know. First off, I think you have to just have an insane amount of luck, regardless, to win the lottery two times in a five-year period. Considering your the odds of doing that more than twice in a five-year period are probably so ridiculously low, regardless of where you pick. You could get the number one odds five times. And I would say the chances are you're going to win the lottery maybe twice. And that's that's how it's set up already. Um, I think they mess around too much with these things. I'm just going to get right to it. I think they mess around too much with these things. And um, it, it remains to be seen whether this is going to help anything at all. It's like you can only allow a team to jump 10 spots. So a team that misses the playoffs really has, like barely misses the playoffs, really has no reason to be happy about anything at all. It's like, you know, you can't win the lottery. You're going to have a bad pick. You're going to be in middling state. It just keeps the middling teams more middling, I think, at that point. Um, 
Uh, I don't know. It, it remains to be seen. I think over time it might get a little bit more um, efficient. You know, there'll be more changes. There's always changes to the NHL lottery. I feel like it happens every couple of years. Um, but at this point, I don't really know if I have any specific opinion on anything. Um, what are you thinking about this? Yeah, I like your analysis, actually, because I don't see what significant problem is being solved by these three changes. I mean, I think kind of the overall theme is that they want there to be a little bit less randomness in kind of the lottery. Like, if they don't want teams... But isn't that what a lottery spots, is? Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> I, I'm in agreement with you on that. Like, I just don't know what the kind of benefit is from, from these changes. Like, reducing the lottery picks from three to two. Okay, so if you finish last now, instead of potentially picking fourth, you're going to pick third. Like, I, it's just like, these are these are kind of strange changes to me. I don't really see them as completely necessary. But, I mean, hey, Board of Governors will kind of have final say on it, so... Um, yeah, thought I would at least kind of bring it up. Thought they were kind of strange, so I had a similar reaction on, uh, with you on that, Donnie. So uh, I'm glad we could at least have a discussion. Yeah, it, just, it seems funny when you, you're so worried about, like, one of the changes about the 15th team being able to jump. How often do we actually have a 15 team jump into, like, the top three? It's like they have um, – the percentage on that is 3.3% to jump in the top three and 1% to get number one overall. If it happens, it's like – there's a reason those odds are there. It's like we're not just like uh, – those are numbers that have been, I'm sure, uh, ran time and time again. And I'm sure those odds are very, very bad for the, most of them. Like obviously we saw like the Blackhawks have jumped. The, the Rangers have jumped recently. Um, the Devils have jumped a couple of times. But it's not like – I remember Dallas did when they got high skin in. Yeah, there's been a it's, few times. Yeah, but it's, it's not like it's that like world-changing, especially if you drop one slot or two slots in the draft. It's like you could you should still get a good player if you're, not number, if you're number three instead of number one. Right. So. Yeah, especially that rule about the 10 spots. It's like the reason that the lottery was is so everybody who missed the playoffs has a chance to win the lottery. Now we're just reducing that. So like even at now, if you miss the playoffs, you don't have a chance to, to, to get a spot. in the lottery. Now you have to be extra bad to win the lottery. Yeah, you, you that encourages thinking like, more, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, at this point, it's like, it's kind of wild to me, especially this year, if they did it in a year like this year where we're going to have teams like, like the East – I can almost guarantee there's going to be five teams that should be playoff teams and that would be playoff teams in other divisions. So a team like, so for example, I think Philly's in the spot where they'd be missing right now. If Philly missed the playoffs, it's like they're still a good team regardless if they don't jump in the lottery. It's not like it matters that much. So the fact that they felt like they had to change a rule like that to where a team that misses the playoffs can't win the lottery if they're just, if they're good, but not that good. It's like, I don't know. It's, there's stupid changes in, in everything they do, and it's just it's little mind numbing, mind numbing shit that bothers me. And this is something that it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, no, definitely in agreement with you on that. All right, Donnie, I got one last hockey note, and we can move on to whatever you want. Really, uh, it's it's a, it's a co-host podcast. I give you give you authority on that, but just one more note for me right now. So you, if you guys know, I'm a big junior hockey fan. I work for a junior hockey team, the Cedar Rapids Rough Riders, as an internship. And I love following junior hockey. And over the weekend, I was perusing Twitter, and everybody was going crazy about this guy, Connor Bedard, who is playing in the Western Hockey League for the Regina Pats in the WHL. And he is one of the few players who was granted exceptional player status uh, by Hockey Canada. So he is playing junior hockey right now at 15 years old, which is untypical. That's why he was granted this exceptional status. This has only happened a couple of times in the past. There's been players like John Tavares, Aaron Ekblad, Connor McDavid, Sean Day, and Joe Valeno. 
are the previous five guys to be granted uh, exceptional player status. And over the weekend, Connor Bedard, his first game with uh, the Regina Pats, he scored two goals. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, kind of a nice note. Always love, you know, learning about the new kind of generational players that, that are coming in and, and are uh, making things happen. So um, just kind of a fun note. So hopefully we'll see Connor Bedard in action. And we just talked about the draft lottery. Maybe people will be tanking for Connor Bedard in a couple of years. But uh, that was cool to see for, for me on Twitter over the weekend. Yeah, I did a little bit of research on this when I saw this. Um, I saw it a couple days ago. It's like, I was just thinking, at 15, you've probably a little bit undersized or whatever. So I went and looked, and this kid's 5'10", 180. Like, he's doing okay. He'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not really any struggle for him. It's like, he's, he's yeah. pretty typical. For a 15-year-old, too, he's probably still growing. I mean, it's like, is, is he going to become 6'2", 210, and then be like the best player of all time? Who knows? Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. We don't see it very often. It's like, obviously the Rangers had Sean Day and he didn't pan out. So it's not like a guarantee that these guys are going to be great right. players, but you know, it's like, if you get exceptional status at 15, when you haven't even turned 16 yet and, and you're already scoring, you're already, he, he scored two goals in his first game. I mean, it's like, you know, it's just, a, it's a nice story to watch. It's interesting to see players like that. Cause it's like, we, we really see this once every couple of years. And, and even then it's like, yeah. these guys are, are not necessarily superstars. So following his uh, uprise into his career, you know, it'd be interesting. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, just the sixth player ever to have this happen. So thought I'd bring it up. Pretty cool. Hopefully, hopefully it pans out for us. It'll be cool to kind of follow Connor Bedard's career over the next couple of years here. Absolutely. Um, do you want to shift into questions or do you want to touch up on the NFL cuts real quick? Yeah, what do you, what do you got on cuts, Donnie? See, it was really interesting to me because we, we talked about this uh, on Eric's podcast, on the End Zone podcast last week, and uh, just uh, there were a couple interesting parts of this week in terms of football that I wanted to talk about real quick. One of them being the Alex Smith situation. I don't know if you saw uh, what Ron Rivera said about Alex Smith. Uh, I don't. I don't know if you um, touched on that or whatever. But the Redskins, uh, the the Washington football team, um, said. You know, they really didn't want to play him or whatever because they didn't want him to get hurt again. And then he gets cut this week, and now his future career is interesting. I really found it interesting to see that Ron Rivera was willing to say that they didn't want him to get hurt. They, 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 they didn't want him to get hurt again. What's the point of paying a player? What's the point of a player rehabbing his way back to the NFL just to not play? Um, obviously, it's a, it's a different injury. It's a crazy injury. But the fact that... There's a football team willing to pay a player a significant amount of money to be their quarterback in a down down the stretch. It's just really wild to me because um, I think Alex Smith had a GQ article the other day where um, you know the and they said that his return like threw a wrench in their plans. But it's like, wouldn't you? Wouldn't that be a welcomed wrench in your plans considering your quarterback stunk? Like Dwayne Haskins was awful. Um. And it's not like they had a, a good replacement for Haskins in the first place. Alex Smith steps in. He's a pretty average NFL quarterback, I would say, like like a, probably a low tier starter, high tier backup at this point. But why why are you afraid to play a player who has rehabbed all this time just to just just to say, oh, we don't want to play him because we get hurt again? Maybe like, are the Giants going to sit Saquon next year? Like, uh, oh, we're afraid he's going to get hurt. Like. No, this is football, man. You're playing football. You're getting paid a ton of money. Play the play the players that are going to help you win. Like, I don't know. And honestly, one of my least favorite things in, like, all of, like, football conversation is when people act like it's a bad thing to have quarterback depth. Like, how about you actually do get multiple good quarterbacks on your roster? Maybe that's a good idea. I don't know. Maybe I'm, like, the only one in the world that thinks that. But 
There's some people I swear that think like, oh, you got to have one quarterback and your backup better suck. Like I, I swear that's <laughs> what it seems like some people think sometimes. So uh, that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know why anyone would not want to welcome back a quarterback, especially Alex Smith. Like he's a veteran quarterback. He stepped in for them last year and started games and was fine. Like a very, very strange comments uh, from, from Rivera. I agree. And then Rivera kind of acknowledged it too. And he was like, yeah, you know what? I actually don't agree with, with a lot of what Alex Smith said. I could see you kind of from his perspective, why he um, wouldn't want that. And Alex Smith was like, they didn't even want me there. But um, so yeah, kind of kind of an interesting thought there. It, it, with a team that won the division, like like they, they yeah, true. I, I mean, it's not like they were winning a bad Bowl. division though, Donnie. I mean, both yeah, both yeah, of us yes, know that was yes, a bad division. Yes. <laughs> if, if you've ever watched us talk about sports, you know that it was a bad division. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I don't know. And me being an Alex Smith supporter for for time now since he was on the Chiefs. Um. I don't know. It just it it, it rubs me the wrong way. Um. I guess we can shift one one more uh, bit of news from the NFL. Obviously, Drew Brees retired today, um, as you know was expected, and then Taysom Hill got a massive contract. But you know that that's beside the point. Um, I I think it's just it's really interesting to see. Uh, Drew Brees is going to have a a model career for a lot of guys who cannot run the ball, who cannot be be athletic, um, and just. It's very sad to see guys like that who are such a key part of my sports fandom growing up. It's like, obviously, we saw him and Peyton and Eli and Brady will retire soon. We're going to see the, the next generation of quarterbacks take over. And it's pretty wild to me because, like, you don't ever think about this growing up as a sports fan, thinking that your guys are going to end up retiring when you're 11 or 12 years old. But, like, here we are, Drew Brees, a, a Hall of Famer in every right, um, retiring at, just maybe not out of nowhere, but I, I think Drew Brees is one of those guys that you would think would play until he couldn't play anymore. And I mean, maybe this is him saying he can't play anymore, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's just, it hit me a little bit when I saw Drew Brees retire because we've seen so many of these talented Hall of Fame quarterbacks retire the last couple of years. And it really just, you know, it makes you feel old a little bit, honestly. It makes you feel like you're growing up and, you know, maybe not the best feeling in the world, you know? Yeah, great career for Drew Brees. Obviously, I kind of thought he was going to retire. It seemed like kind of towards the end of last year that, uh, People around Drew Brees were kind of like, yeah, this could be it for him. Kind of too bad he wasn't able to get that super second Super Bowl. Obviously, the Saints had definitely their opportunities in the last uh, three years, I would say, especially definitely thinking of the uh, uh, Minnesota Miracle and the Kyle Rudolph push-off and the pass interference play against the Rams. So he definitely had his opportunities, but no, a great career for Drew Brees, obviously. Definitely one of the all-time greats. And uh, yeah, you mentioned the Taysom Hill uh, extension as well, a four-year extension, but it actually clears cap. So that's kind of a very strange thing. But I kind of wonder, like, are the Saints still going to be thinking about drafting another guy? Like, it would, you know, surely I don't think they go with Taysom Hill as the full-time guy. Like we're saying, like, uh, the Saints are a team that definitely do does like to have multiple good quarterbacks. Obviously, they had Jameis last year as well. So um, they're a team that definitely invests in the quarterback room that uh, I'm very for that. So uh, we'll see. I think the Saints will definitely look to add another arm um, to their quarterback room. So that'll be interesting there for sure. You got to feel bad for Jameis. It just seems like this would have been the perfect opportunity for Jameis to step in with his new eyes and be like, hey, you know, I could still play quarterback. Um, yeah, Taysom Hill uh, going to be the quarterback long term in New Orleans, even though he's already old. I, I don't Who knows? Um, do you want to head on to questions here? Um, you know, I guess we can start off with with the legend himself, the man, the myth, uh, our captain, uh, our savior. Um He's just asking about Chicago baseball. What do we, what do you expect from the Cubs and the White Sox this year, and where do you think they're going to end up in the standings? Yeah, I'll go here, being the Chicago baseball fan of the group. 
I definitely have higher expectations for the White Sox than I do the Cubs this year. I think the White Sox are in a pretty good spot where they should be able to win the AL Central this year. Not a great division. Still are rebuilding teams in Kansas City, even though they did add definitely um, some some pieces in the offseason. I like that they added Benintendi. I thought that was kind of an under-radar move for the Royals. But still, I like the White Sox more than them. The Tigers kind of signed a bunch of random guys and are still pretty young. The Indians are in an interesting spot, just moved on from Lindor. And uh, the Twins are definitely a good team as well. So no slouch with the Twins. But I actually predict that the White Sox will be able to win their division this year. Obviously, last season, they were able to kind of make that first initial breakthrough, make the playoffs, unable to get past the A's uh, in kind of the expanded playoff in baseball last year. But I think the White Sox are going in a good direction. They're going to get Michael Kopech back from Tommy John surgery. That's going to be really big. Obviously, still a lot of really good young hitters. Luis Robert, uh, Eloy Jimenez, for sure. Yohan Moncada. So a lot of really good talent there for the White Sox. So I think they're definitely a team that I expect them to win the division. Not probably a team that I expect to win the AL pennant. I think um, that would be a little bit much. But if they can at least get to the ALCS, I think that would be pretty realistic for the White Sox to at least make a little bit more of a jump. Then, as for the Cubs, not a team I expect to win their division. I like Cincinnati and St. Louis a little bit more in that division for me personally. But I think the Cubs are going to be a team that's going to be in the wildcard race all the way through. I don't think they're a disaster by any means, but um, I don't think that they're a team that's going to be, you know, contending for, for an NL pennant by any means. So I think the Cubs will kind of be in that wildcard race, but gut feel right now is the Cubs will be a little bit on the outside looking in uh, for the playoffs next year. So that's my analysis on the uh, Chicago baseball teams before the season. I think it's fair. I think you did a great job there. Um as the, the resident fan of both Chicago baseball teams, which is fine, you know, there's no real rivalry Thank there. Thank you. I do. There are people that, that frown on me do for they actually? both teams. But okay. Like, I, my, my, dad, my dad is a Cubs fan, and both my grandparents are White Sox fans. So I grew up going to both games. Like, why? they're in different leagues. Why can't? Why, why? Some people no got rival- issues okay. with me liking both. Until they play in the World Series against each other, there's still a real rivalry there because they're playing regular season And games. in that situation, I would root for the Cubs. Absolutely. I like yeah, the Cubs yeah, a little yes, bit more than the yes. Sox. Um, I think I think both of those are fair. I think the White Sox should run away with their division, in, in my opinion. I think the rest of the division is mediocre, I would say. Um, you know, it's like yeah. you really never know what you're getting out of any of those other teams. And obviously, we've seen teams, as you said, um, decline a, b- a little bit. Cleveland will not be as good. Kansas City signed a bunch of just, just – They've got a bunch of randoms. Yeah. Detroit yeah. also e- went even further. Detroit signed, signed even more signed randoms. More randoms. Yeah. Um, so I think yeah. it's between Chicago and Minnesota in the central. And I think, you know, that's what, that's how it's been the last couple of years. Like obviously Cleveland's been there uh, up and down, but um, I think that was, that was the telltale sign is that Chicago is, is the up and coming team in baseball. I would say in terms of the young yeah. talent, they probably have the best uh, youth group in the league. And in the NL, it's like, I wouldn't be shocked if the Cubs were half decent. I don't think you would be shocked if the Cubs are half decent, especially considering they're going to play Pittsburgh all the time. Um, Cincinnati's not going to yeah. be very good. <laughs> Milwaukee's else. probably not going to be very good. So it's like the Cubs could very well benefit if they win their the win Central games. Um, yeah, they'll be in a battle with the Reds. The Reds usually kind of have the Cubs number head to head, so that's kind of why I lean Cincinnati over that. But they'll they'll be they'll be competitive for sure. Sure, I think I think what what you said is fair. Um, and, and, you know, I appreciate the unbiased look at things considering I've seen a lot of White Sox fans saying they're going to win the World Series this year. And wh- while I would love to see the White Sox make a run, I don't think that they're there just yet. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, definitely agree with you on, on kind of all that analysis. So, yeah, good talk. Chicago baseball, I'm, I'm all for it. Hopefully I can get to some games uh, this year. Obviously I was unable to do that last year. So I uh, lo- love going to Wrigley Field and Guaranteed Rate. Hopefully I can get back there this summer. Absolutely. I think we can move on to Scott's next question. Uh, thoughts on Patrick Williams so far? And 
if he was worth the fourth pick? What are we thinking here? Yeah, interesting question. I definitely went in and, and did a little bit more statistical research. Haven't watched a ton of Chicago Bulls basketball this year, just going to be honest with you. But uh, I'm going to give you my analysis. At the time of the pick, I would have rather the Bulls had gone with Obi Toppin, who obviously went to the New York Knicks. But so far this season, I would say Patrick Williams has done a little bit better than Obi Toppin, uh, has had a little bit more of an opportunity. Williams has been a starter for a lot of the year for the Bulls. And obviously, these guys were drift drafted last year. I mean, we don't know who's going to be better, you know, 10 years from now. That's really all that matters. But um, so I guess the Bulls would have proved me wrong because so far, Patrick Williams has been a little bit better than Obi Toppin. But I will say that there has been another guy who's been picked after that's been better. That would probably be Tyrese Halliburton, who fell a little bit, uh, went to the Sacramento Kings coming out of Iowa State last year. He's had a very strong season so far as a rookie. Uh, I would say the best rookie overall would probably be LaMelo Ball this year. He's been unreal for Charlotte, but obviously he was picked before the Bulls, third overall to Charlotte. So um, I think Williams has been solid, I would say. Um, just kind of going by what I've seen so far for the Bulls. I'm glad that he's getting minutes. I'm glad that they're committing to that pick and, and that kind of player development process. But, um, you know, I, I, like I said, at the time of the pick, I would have preferred Obi Toppin. And now it seems like Tyrese Halliburton has been a little bit better. But um, overall, I think it's gone solid so far for the Bulls with, with the Williams pick. But, you know, still a rookie, so very young in his uh, development. We'll We'll have a more fair analysis on that in a couple of years. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, you know, just to add on top of that, the Bulls are actually half decent this year. Like, it's not actually, it's not always awful yeah, basketball to watch. They're a game out of the playoffs which, right Which now. is yeah. shocking, considering I think at the beginning of the year, you probably would have told me the Bulls are going to be pretty bad. Um, obviously, a lot of young players still progressing. But I think, if anything, you just have to be happy about the, the additions they have made. Obviously, Williams has helped. Um, and, and, you know, you're, you're a game out of the playoffs and what were we halfway through the year? Something, something like that. Pretty close to halfway. Um, you, you can't be too mad about that, I don't think. Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad for the Bulls. I, I was glad that they have new management now. They got that guy coming over from the Nuggets. They got Billy Donovan as a head coach. So, you know, hey, a, a little bit more optimism for me with the Bulls. But, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still talking about a team that's not making the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. So they're definitely still trash. But uh, a little bit better than it's been in recent years for the Bulls. I'll give you that. Of course. Um Let's move forward to Scott's next question. We are about halfway through the NHL season. Which player or team has surprised you the most? And I think you have an obvious answer here, so I'll let you go first. Yeah, I mean, Scott's questions so far have all been about Chicago teams, so I'm going to keep it going. Honestly, the Blackhawks have really kind of surprised me this year. I think those of you guys that have listened to this podcast, listened to some of our preview podcasts coming in the NHL season, I was not high on the Blackhawks. Scotty G was on a podcast with us as we were previewing the NHL season, and, and he was kind of saying the same things, that uh, we did not expect this Blackhawks team to really be all that competitive. I didn't think the defense was good enough. The goaltending was pretty inconsistent, and even some of the forwards, I was like, no, we're not going to be without Tate. We're going to be without Kirby Doc, Alex Nylander. Where are we going to get scoring? And honestly, they've just been able to find ways. Guys like Philip Kuroshev and Pia Suter, who just kind of come over. Kubalik has had a solid year uh, in his second year with the Blackhawks. Alex DeBrinket and Patrick Kane have really been doing a great job together, scoring in overtime. And the Blackhawks' power play has been incredible. And the back end has held up well enough. And I would say the goaltending has also been better than I thought. There's definitely been games where Kevin Lankin and Malcolm Subban have done way better than I had a really anticipated them doing so uh definitely a pleasant surprise with the Blackhawks still definitely not acknowledging that I don't think the Blackhawks are going to make a big splash in the playoffs I think that Carolina and Tampa Bay in the division are still definitely better hockey teams than the Blackhawks are but definitely glad to see that the Blackhawks have been pretty competitive a lot more fun to watch than I had kind of anticipated so definitely been the team that surprised me the most so far this year sure I think that's very fair and you know we've talked about the Blackhawks literally every week it seems like um how they're still sticking around and you know it's really surprising um, I decided to pick a player and a team for this because Scotty said that we could choose both. Um, the player I'm picking is Carter Hart because he has been really bad this year. Um, 
which is yeah. super surprising considering he was I, I, pretty fantastic last year. Obviously, the he, he's really bad on the road. Uh, that's something that's been established. That's something that will probably be fixed over his career. But um, to go from being a a nine fourteen goalie in forty three games to an eight eighty seven this year on a Philly team that should very well be a playoff team, I think. If we were going to pick teams at the beginning of the year out of the East, I think Philly would have been one of the top three that was almost guaranteed a spot in our in our opinion, at least my opinion. And Philly has really, they, they've really suffered from Carter Hart's poor play. Um, it's not all him, but, you know, you'd obviously like to see 887 is not going to do it, regardless of who's in front of you, regardless of who's on defense, regardless of who's on the team in general. And 887, that's something you'd expect out of a Detroit Red Wings goaltender and not a contender's goaltender. Um, and on top of that, you know, I'll give credit to a team that we, we, we shat on a little bit last year in the Minnesota Wild. Um, they're currently 17-8-1 in, in a division that is has proven to be a little bit tougher than I expected. It's like we've seen the teams like the Kings are playing decent hockey. Arizona's a 500 hockey team. Um, the Minnesota Wild are currently above the Colorado Avalanche in the standings. And that is something that if you had told me 26 games in the season, it would be the truth. I would tell you you're stupid. Um, but yeah, I guess the wild are really, they're, they're benefiting a lot from first off, they've got so much depth on the roster and we've said it time and time again, this is a team that should be better than they are. Um, but they're on a little bit of a streak right now. I think they've won five of the last six, four, four in a row. And you know, you're playing teams in the division. If you can beat Vegas twice, uh, at home on the road, wherever you can in a row, like you're really happy about that. Cause I think we've established Vegas is the premier contender out West. Um, just, just props to the Minnesota Wild in general. I think they deserve a little bit, little bit of credit. Um, considering I thought that we thought that they would be a pretty much middling team this year. Yeah, I agree with that. I was kind of waiting to see who was kind of, kind of be that fourth team in that West Division that would kind of break out. It seemed like it was maybe going to be the LA Kings for a little bit. They've kind of fallen on some harder times lately. But yeah, good shout with the Wild. Definitely had a good year. Capro Kaprasov, wow, he had a hat trick. Uh, the other night, he's been really good for the Wild as well. So, like those picks for you as well. Yeah, one of the most surprising players in the league. Just, just I, cause I didn't. You don't expect a guy like Kaprizov or anybody to come in the league and just dominate like that. And obviously, he's a little bit older. It's a, it's a bit of the Panarin situation and all that. But he has just been so good. And watching him and Zook together on the ice is so much fun. And I think if you if you told me Wild hockey would be fun to watch, I'd tell you, hey, you're probably uh, you're off you're off something. But Wild hockey is actually decent to watch this year, and that's something that really um you know. Definitely a positive. Um, but from that, we can shift over to somebody who is not having a great time playing hockey, and that is Mackenzie Blackwood. Blackwood. Scotty asks, what is wrong with Mackenzie Blackwood, and did COVID curse him? What are we thinking, RK? Yeah, it's been an interesting year for Blackwood. Still a very young goalie, as Scott mentioned. He did was out with COVID for a little bit, and he plays for the New Jersey Devils, who do not have a very good defense, if you do not follow along very closely. So that makes things a challenge. I mean, we're, we're still talking about the same team that, I mean, Corey Schneider was a good goalie for most of his career, and then he just completely fell apart when he was uh, playing in front of the Devils, you know, towards the end of kind of his career there. So, uh, I mean, Blackwood's definitely in a situation where he's still very young, still very much developing. He was pretty good the last two years um he, he started with the devils but yeah this year 900 save percentage goal save above average minus 2.9 so um not optimal for Mackenzie blackwood but i mean goaltending stuff like we were just kind of talking about with carter hart you know young goalies they're going to go through their struggles in the nhl that's not, definitely not a surprise it's a very good division that they're playing in obviously hart and blackwood playing in that same division uh in the east so um you know it's been a tough spot for blackwood but i think kind of the team around him also has kind of a big say in that so uh, I wouldn't be too, too concerned about Blackwood, but um, yeah, I would definitely acknowledge that, yeah, he hasn't been as good as he's been in, in the last two yeah, years. Yeah, and this especially has been a, a depressing stretch for Devils fans. Um, Blackwood's given up 
three or more goals in nine straight games uh, where he's played. Um, most of those games have been full games, but there are some partial games in there. And I don't know, if you're the, if you're a Devils fan, the only thing that you could really benefit off of here um, this season now is just hoping that Blackwood gets back to you know where he's at, hoping the youth can continue to progress. Because um, it started off early. Like we, we talked with Dan and, and Scott. They were both excited about um, just you know the fact that they had some positives and they were actually winning games beginning of the year and then COVID hit um, the devil's pretty hard and Blackwood has not been able to recover in the slightest. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with defense, as you said, but still it's like nine games straight of three or more goals allowed for any goaltender, let alone a young goaltender, old goaltender that will mess with your confidence. It's going to mess with your head a lot. Um, and then, you know, you see the devils that can't win a game you know, regardless of who's in net. So it's got to be a little bit of a depressing uh, stretch for Blackwood. And, you know, obviously a guy like that who was very good for large stretches of last year and earlier this year, you'd expect him to get back at it. But, you know, it's definitely got to be a little bit of a somber sight to watch the Devils just consistently. Just like today they played good hockey and then they scored in overtime, didn't happen, called it off, and they lost in a shootout. Um, and, you know, you have, to, you have to feel for Blackwood considering uh, we've seen a, a couple of players have issues coming back from COVID this year. And they just haven't been the same. So hopefully it doesn't affect him long term, but it's definitely looking like it's affected him on the short term, at least. Yeah, no doubt about it. Eh, we'll see how Blackwood kind of responds. Like we said, tough year for the Devils. So uh, I wouldn't be too, too concerned with him overall. But yeah, I mean, unfortunate situation. this year. Absolutely. Uh, we'll move on to Scotty's last question, uh, hockey related. Thoughts on hockey coming back to ESPN and what this means for hockey. Uh, so if you didn't know or didn't see the news, the ESPN spent... A lot of money to acquire the the rights to NHL games beginning in the 2021-2022 season. Um, ESPN or ABC are going to show 25 games and a half of the playoffs uh, and the Stanley Cup in four of the seven years of their deal, um, as well as a streaming component on ESPN+, Plus, uh, which is really interesting considering uh, as a, an ESPN watcher here, um, I watch a lot of ESPN, just background noise more than anything. There's still not very much hockey coverage. And I think that probably has a lot to do with the sport not growing because if ESPN is not covering you, you probably don't matter um, to, to the majority of fans in the sport. Uh, I personally think it's great. Uh, I don't know how you feel about this. We haven't really talked about this yet. So I'm really interested to hear what you think about ESPN acquiring the NHL rights to um, you know play on ABC and ESPN. What are we thinking? Yeah, I think it's great news, Donnie. I really do. I mean, the NHL was only on NBC. I mean, you're just limiting yourself by only being on one network. I don't understand why you were doing that. So, I mean, kind of about time, honestly, that, that the NHL is going to finally be on ESPN. I mean, hockey's got to grow. I think that's definitely not a surprise. They've got to find a way to generate more revenue, especially now more than ever. So, I think getting more exposure on other TV um, sources like ESPN is, is definitely great. So, I think that's a big news for hockey. Um, very well overdue. I think that the NHL should even continue to look to expand more. I mean, the being on NBC, they should look to get on Fox. They should look to get on CBS. They should continue to be looking to expand and find out more ways that they can be exposing their product to, to a larger audience because hockey is dope. Like, <laughs> I need more people to be following hockey. Like, it's a great sport. It's super fun to watch. So hopefully it uh, can help out. Hopefully this is a good partnership. So I was really glad to see it. And, and I was glad that it was a seven-year deal. So hopefully they can um, be able to start really kind of promoting it and, and locking in. So it'll be interesting to see uh, uh, that one note that you mentioned, Donnie, about how the Stanley Cup Finals will be on ESPN in four of the seven years. So that'll be kind of interesting. Obviously, it's always been on NBC for as long as I can remember. So um, that should be an interesting component. Yeah, I think well. this is the first time in my lifetime. I could be wrong. Um, so if anybody that 
does listen to this uh, can give me some insight on this. But I think this is the first time that ESPN, uh, that hockey being on a, a channel that can actually produce other content other than just put on hockey. So it's like we could potentially see ESPN have a, I don't know, maybe a nightly NHL show where they spend an hour on it or whatever on ESPN2 or something like that. Uh, I think it really opens up the possibilities. It's like obviously NHL Network does their on the fly, and I'm sure that will continue. But having some competition there and having this on ESPN, which is the most widely televised sports channel in, um, I, I'd say probably the world, but at least in the USA, uh, North America, uh, well, it would definitely benefit the sport in general. It's like if people want to be interested, I've had multiple people tell me, I don't know how to follow the sport. I don't know where to follow the sport because a lot of people are still visual, visual, visual watchers, visual learners, and they do want to watch content outside of just games. I think if the ES, if ESPN really went hard on that and decided, hey, we're going to produce a TV show that's nightly on ESPN2 at 9 o'clock at night or 10 o'clock at night that goes over everything that goes on in the NHL, um, could, would that not be a huge benefit for just hockey fans in general to give them some competition, especially if they don't have NHL Network or don't know NHL Network exists? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I don't have NHL Network in, in Chicago. Like, I, that was not something that we really had access to. Like, it wasn't even, like, offered in one of the channel options. It's really only something I see, like, out east or maybe Minnesota. So, kind of interesting. So, yeah, I mean, NHL's got to do a better job of getting on more platforms. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely really glad to see it. Yeah, uh, I guess we can move on here uh, past hockey since we spent the good a good 40 minutes talking about hockey here and go to March Madness, which is – you know, finally underway or are going to be underway very, very shortly. We have the uh, first four games coming. And a question from BK at BBKS underscore on Twitter. Um, one of the boys says, sup, BK here again. First time in a long time. My question is, why am I Illini winning the Natty? And where do you project AO in the draft? Thanks, fellas. Uh, RK, as as the uh, Illinois, Illinois born and bred here, what are we thinking about the Illini? I don't know how yeah. well you follow the Illini, uh, considering you are in Iowa, um, the Iowa student, and Iowa is very, very good. But um, right. it, it just Illinois beat Ohio State today in a great game um, to, to win the Big Ten, which was, I think, maybe surprising. I don't know necessarily if, if um, anybody would have picked Illinois. I, I'm sure Illinois got a fair amount of picks and everything, but you know we see teams like you know, Iowa, Michigan, Ohio State, teams like that that were very strong as well. Um, so what are we thinking about Illinois basketball in the first place? Yeah, I actually have watched a lot of Big Ten basketball this year. As you mentioned, I've watched a lot of Iowa, so I've been able to follow uh, a lot of some of the other top teams in the Big Ten. Definitely the best conference in college basketball, by the way. A lot of tons of great teams out of the Big Ten this year. And I'm actually a big fan of the Illini, too. I know BK asking here about Io Dosunmu, Illinois' best player. I think he's a stud, honestly. Like He has been so fun to watch. He's a deadly scorer, super athletic. Um, so definitely we'll, we'll touch on that aspect of the question, but I like Illini a lot. Like they really, they were able to win that conference tournament in the big 10 and they had some impressive wins. They won on the road at Michigan without Io Dosunmu a couple of weeks ago. So I think Illinois is really legit. Like they actually have a really good team just kind of ran through, um, really that conference tournament. They had a close game against Ohio state in overtime, as you just kind of referenced there, Donnie, but I'm a big believer in Illinois. I just ran through my kind of quick initial bracket. I got Illinois all the way in the national title game, losing to Gonzaga so BK has him winning the natty I respect it I mean I really do think Illinois is legit and gonna make a really deep serious run they're super deep 
um, uh, even outside of Iodo Sunmu. So I really, really like Illinois this year. So big fan, but I got him coming up a little bit short to Gonzaga. I mean, Gonzaga hasn't lost at all this year. I mean, and they've beaten such quality teams. They beat Kansas. They beat uh, Iowa. And they just stormed through their entire conference. So Gonzaga, very good. Going to be tough. But I am definitely a believer in Illinois as well. So definitely don't think BK is really, you know, too crazy on that for, for thinking Illinois could win the Natty. Obviously, they're a one seed. So definitely a fair pick there. Then, as for the second part of the question, haven't done a huge amount of scouting when it comes to the NBA draft, but a couple guys I like a little bit more than Iodo Sunmu are Jalen Suggs on Gonzaga and also Cade Cunningham on Oklahoma State. So those are kind of two guys that I just have a little bit higher uh, than Dosunmu, but I think Dosunmu is definitely a lottery pick, if not even a top 10 or top 5 consideration. So um, definitely had a lot of fun watching Illinois basketball this year, so glad BK was able you to. You know, it's really nice to see uh, just, just a viewer coming together with one of the co-hosts here and, and really having a positive, uh, you know, positive experience watching college basketball, uh, especially yeah. considering... Um, the other co-host, me, had a very negative experience watching college basketball this year with, with Miami being absolutely awful, although they did win some games in the um, the ACC tournament, which was very surprising, um, considering they had like a third of their roster for the majority of the year because of COVID and, and all that. Um, but yeah, I've seen multiple people say that he could be one of the quickest risers in the tournament, considering this is the time to get the... You're going to have eyes on you, especially because I think Illinois was a one seed, correct? So, so, you know, you yep, definitely, no. um, you are the big dog. You are the, uh, you are the team everyone wants to knock off. So I think out of, out of the Midwest, especially, um, just looking into it, looking at a team's strengths and weaknesses, uh, I don't think the Midwest is that strong. I, I don't know necessarily if they can beat in Oklahoma state depends on if Kate Cunningham decides to, um, you know, go off, uh, which we've seen time and time again, as you mentioned before. But, yeah. you know, I definitely wouldn't be surprised to see Illinois go have a deep run of the tournament. Everything that I read in terms of preparation for this says um, this is a team that is slept on. This is a team that is severely slept on. These are guys that haven't been talked about as much as they want uh, wanted to be. And, you know, you could definitely see a team like that make a deep run, especially in March Madness. Anything can happen. Um, and, and I think if you're going to have a team like that, having a guy like Desunmu who – I've seen multiple people say that he could be a top eight, top ten pick, depending on how his tournament goes. I think this is how it goes every year. There are guys that start off a little bit lower on the the mock draft boards and rise up. We see right. it every year, like Obi Toppin, for example. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's definitely interesting to see a team like Illinois because they're they're battle tested at this point. Most of the teams that are in the tournament from their conference are battle tested, and they've played tough games. And, you know, we definitely seen Illinois, they ran through the gauntlet. They played multiple good teams in their tournament and didn't really struggle until the last game. Uh, it's still one, so you can't complain about that. But, yeah, I think it's definitely interesting to see uh, Illinois. I think the Midwest is the weakest of the four um, regions, so I definitely wouldn't be surprised. I definitely wouldn't be surprised yeah, if they made a deep run. Uh, and, and, you know, I definitely think that would be good for basketball in general because, you know, you get BK into a sport, you know, you're going to see him. He tweeted maybe 17 times today. During the game, and I was just sitting there like, you know, great BK. I, I'm this is the first time I've ever seen BK talk about Illinois basketball in my life, and, and here he is, with, with, you know, going off. And you know, hey, this is what March Madness is all about. I can't be mad about it. That is Illinois basketball for you in a nutshell, Donnie. They were last good in like 2005. I think they made the Final Four, or like 2006, something like that. They they made the Final Four and made a run, and like people still talk about that. And then every year since then, Illinois has just been trash at basketball and football too. And then here you go, Illinois. They're back. They're a one seed, so it's just kind of funny. Like Illinois, either trash or like damn. Like Illinois is like making a serious yeah. run. So it only happens it like once so every like 15 funny. years. Looking, so into, looking into Illinois basketball and seeing like two years ago they won 12 games. 
and now they're just like, hey, we're back. Hey, guys, how yeah. are we? Um, I, I think that's how college basketball goes, though. It's all about recruiting. If you get that one good recruit or two good recruits, like, bang, you know, you're at the top. So No doubt. Um, and we can shift into Eric's questions at Eric18Utah. Uh, his first question is, are you going to actually watch Mark Madness? And, you know, I find that this is disgusting that he would even question our uh, willingness to watch Mark Madness. Uh, I might I not be the biggest college basketball fan uh, for the majority of the year, but when March Madness comes around, I am all March Madness all the time. And, you know, I, de- I definitely think that's disrespectful. Yeah. Um, RK, you going to watch March Madness? Oh, you know, March Madness is my absolute favorite time to bet on games. Like, we've talked a little bit about gambling on this podcast, but man, you get, you're telling me I can bet on a game and then two minutes, and then, I, wow, that game just ended, really close finish, wow, next game's got five minutes left in the second half, wow, and then you, you finish watching that game, and then bang, next game, seven minutes left in the second half. It's like, it's just nonstop basketball, of course, I'm gonna yeah, watch it. Yeah, and you know, especially because early on, March 19th and March 20th, we have like, there's like over a dozen games both days, so it's like, if you are a basketball fan in general, whether you like college basketball or not, you're going to find good basketball. There are going to be some bad games at the start. Like the, the one versus 16 seeds, you know, they may not always be good games. But the close games, first off, you get to watch um, the future of the league. Second off, just good basketball is good basketball. You can't complain. It's like sports in general. Good hockey is good hockey regardless of what it is. Good football is good football. Good baseball is good baseball. So, you know, if you have an interest in the sport, I think the majority of people will watch March Madness I mean, this year, especially considering sports are a little bit different. And March Madness was de- sorely missed last year, I would say. I-, I think in terms of sports events, that was the one that we were really missing. Yeah, that's for so, sure. So uh, I definitely think that we will be watching. Yeah. Um, his first real question is, give me four Sweet 16 locks that aren't one seeds. One of them has to be less than a four. RK, I know you wrote down your answers. So what do you got for me? Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad we were able to answer this question from Eric after the brackets were released, so that way I don't look like a fool and pick some team that actually ends up being lower than a four. So I'm going to give you three teams that are a four or less, uh, and none of them are one. So my two seed I'm picking is Alabama. Alabama's got Ionia and then plays the winner of UConn and Maryland. So I think Alabama should be able to do that. Alabama had a really good year in the SEC this year. So I like Bama to get to the Sweet 16 at the very least. Also like Texas, who is in the same kind of region right there with Bama. So Texas has got to get past Abilene Christian and then either BYU or UCLA or Michigan State winners. So I think Texas should be able to do that. They had a good year this year in the Big 12. I like Shaka Smart as well. We talked about Oklahoma State a little bit ago when we talked about Cade Cunningham. So I love when we just have these star players. Like I remember a couple years ago when John Morant was just going off. So uh, I'm definitely going to bet on, on the star players in March Madness. So I like Cade Cunningham. Oklahoma State has Liberty and then the winner of Tennessee and Oregon State. So I don't think that's too bad. I like Oklahoma State as the four seed to get to the Sweet 16. And then my seed that is... Uh, he says less than a four, but I guess it's technically more than a four, right? So my six seed that I'm picking is Texas Tech. I don't believe that Texas Tech, well, I do believe Texas Tech is a six seed this year, and I like them. I like Chris Beard. I think their their head coach is really good. Texas Tech, they made the Final Four, the championship game a couple years ago. They made the Elite Eight the year before that. Obviously, there was no tournament last year, so that was uh, their most two recent tournaments. So I think there are some teams and coaches that are just really good in March. I think uh, Tom Izzo with Michigan State is definitely one that comes to mind. But uh, so far, I like what I've seen from Texas Tech. They got Utah State first, and then they'll play the winner of Arkansas and Colgate. So uh, I think Texas Tech as a six seed is, is a decent shot. I've got them all the way uh, in the Elite Eight in, in the first bracket that I make. So there's my, my picks there. I got Alabama, Texas, Oklahoma State, and Texas Tech as my You know, the uh, best part about this mark. is he's asking us who's going to win two games, who's guaranteed to win two games. Yeah. And I, I think you can definitely find yeah, teams exactly. like Oklahoma State, who, who I think is, is just a perfect example of as long as Cade Cunningham shows up and plays basketball, they should win those games. So it's like they, they play against Liberty, 
in the first round, yeah. which is, I mean, you know, Liberty had 23 wins this year. Can't complain about that. But um, Liberty and then the winner of Tennessee, Oregon State, both of which they should be able to uh, walk over considering if Cade Cunningham wants to be the number one pick or, you know, all that. A lot of pressure on him, but, you know, pressure makes diamonds. Figure it out. Um, so he's number one for me. They're number one for me. Number two, I'm just going to go off the board a little bit. I'm picking USC. Um you know, I really enjoy watching the the pack basketball at night, late night pack basketball, and um, we've definitely seen uh, USC beats good teams almost all the time. They probably should have beat Colorado as well um, in the tournament. They did not, you know, unfortunate for them. But they are led by one of the more underrated players in basketball, I think, in Evan Mobley. Um, I don't watch much college basketball. When I do, it, it does happen to be a USC basketball is one of the teams that I do follow, considering I'm a California kid, um, and. Finding a guy like that, I think Evan Mobley is seven foot two ten. You don't see a lot of that uh, in terms of dominance in college sports, you know, especially college basketball. Um, but he's a guy that shoots like sixty percent from the field. Uh, he's a dominant rebounder, uh, plays good defense, passes the ball okay. You know, it's like a guy like that can definitely take over tournament games. And you know, me saying they're a lock to win this, get into the Sweet Sixteen, is tough because they'd have to beat Kansas. But I definitely think they could do that. Um, I will go forward. Number three, I'm going to pick in Colorado. I'm picking the Buffs. Um, again, you know, I've watched a good amount of Colorado, and I think that their biggest threat to get to the Sweet 16 would be Florida State. And I don't think ACC basketball is that good. I really don't. Uh, this year especially, they have been just abysmal. But I think Florida State is one of those teams that could be on upset alert semi-early, um, just, just in general. Um, it could definitely happen. And then, you know, I'm going to go with the tried-and-true Villanova, who comes in as a five-seed. I think March Madness is not the same without Villanova being dominant. And, you know, you just want to see a Villanova team that can make a deep run uh, regardless. And, I mean, it's like if you're going to bet on a team in college basketball that can do it, it's going to be Villanova, I think. So uh, I think if, if there's a fair answer there, um, that's my number four there. Um, he shifts over. Go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, I I love the pick with Villanova. Jay Wright, I, I mentioned that with Chris Beard and Texas Tech as, as kind of those good tournament coaches. Jay Wright, great pick as well. Uh, always bet on Villanova in the tournament. And, I mean, it's like they lost their tournament game against Georgetown by one point. It's like, you know, it doesn't really matter in the long run, in my opinion. Um, when a team is going to make the tournament, they're going to make the tournament regardless. And if, even if Villanova had won that game, it's not like their seed would have been changed much. Um, so I, I think you really have to give – Credit to coaching in general, as you've said. Coaches win games in college basketball more than any other sport, I would say, any especially college sports. But, um, you know, I, I think coaching college basketball, if you play the right matchups, uh, it's similar to like a Nick Saban-esque coach in college football where a guy like that who is so dominant and so good at what he does, whether it starts from recruiting to actual coaching on the field, um, I, I don't know. You win games like that in, in college sports more than you would in professional sports. And I think that Villanova is a team that is – they are battle tested as well. They've done it for so long that, you know, it's like whoever they throw out there, as long as they play their system, they will win games. Um, Eric has one more question. He says, looking ahead, which NBA team might get the hottest over the next month in the East and the West? Uh, do you have answers for me here? Yeah, sure. I'll give you answers. Just predicting who I think is going to be good in basketball. So I guess I'll pick some teams that have been good already this year. How about the Milwaukee Bucks? I mean, they've been good. I like betting on Giannis. Like, why not? They've won eight of their last 10 right now. So shout out to the Bucks. I think they're pretty solid. Uh, and then one team in the West as well. I'll go with the LA Clippers. I, I think the Clippers have actually been pretty solid this year. So um, yeah, I, not a ton of logic in that other than just those teams have been good this year. So why not? Why not those teams continue to be good over the next month? Yeah, I think I'm along the same path with you. Um, number one in the East, I'm going to go with the Miami Heat, considering they are the hottest team in basketball right now. 
Uh, can't really complain about that. Especially when you started off poorly. And, you know, you expect the Miami Heat to get together. They have so much talent. And, again, last year they made such a ridiculous run. Uh, again, we are waiting on... They, they have some injury concerns with guys like Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler. But if they, they can stay healthy, they'll be fine. And then out west, I'm going to pick the Phoenix Suns. Because I think the Phoenix Suns are the best team in the west right now. Um, in terms of complete all-around teams. The Phoenix Suns have surprised so many people this year. Whether that be uh, with Devin Booker's dominance or... You know, you obviously you have Aiton. Chris Paul is still playing high-level basketball, which is surprising considering he has been on what seems like a new team every year, and he still manages to do it. Um, so I, I think those are two fair, uh, fair answers, especially because I think Phoenix's schedule for for the next month is pretty weak. They play a lot of uh, mediocre teams. Uh, they'll play the Lakers without Anthony Davis, and the Lakers are a little bit reeling right now. So I'll definitely go with with those two. Um, finally. We have the best question of the entire podcast, obviously, from your sister, Kira. Uh, what is your favorite smell? You know, this is a, a great thought from, from my sister, Kira, here. Great question. Initially, my thought was new car smell, because that's just like a classic smell. And that's then I one. rethought it over, one. actually. And I was like, you know what's better than new car smell is when you go and get five guys and bring your five guys back to the car, and now your car just smells like five guys for the next two weeks. That's, so that's, like, my that's a good one, no too. Question. Yeah, that's a good one too. Um, wow, I didn't think. See, I didn't think about the takeout food, but it's like I really like when I get pizza and I it's in the car yeah, and the car smells. That's a good like, one. That's a good. Um, my I had two answers. The first one was when you go into a subway, like the artificial. That sub is a, smell. that you can tell. You can definitely tell. Yep. It's just there's something about it that's like very very pleasing. It's, it's a very very happy like you know it's a positive smell for you. Uh, the second one, obviously food related. When you bake cookies and then the smell mm. after you take the cookies out of the oven, like, you know, you have them cooling on like the rack or whatever, yep. and the smell just permeates wherever you are. I think those are two. I don't, is, there, is there such a thing as an underrated smell? No, but like, you know, th- those are two of the, the more, I don't, I don't know, the goaded smells in terms of top tier, just, just, top tier smells. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I think if anything, you know, food in the car, that's something I didn't think of. That is a fantastic yeah. answer. That is truly a fantastic answer. Um, I'm like shocked I didn't think of that because I was thinking on the on the level of food like what smells good in terms of food, and you know obviously cookies that's that's a classic, but food in the car five guys in the car that that just like you know that hit me that hits different I don't know it's the best it's the best you're literally it, the next week you're like damn remember when I had five guys last week like that was gas <laughs> maybe amazing. the reason they do that is because it makes your car smell and then you want to go back like a couple days later like maybe, maybe they have they have some, some that's a marketing strategy some, right some there formula Donnie. here they have they yeah. have, <laughs> They have they have a marketing plot to, to get us to come back. <laughs> it works. I mean, uh, it works. I guess it's like you get pizza. Your your car smells like pizza. You're like, remember when I had that pizza last week? Like, I mean, I definitely good. get it. Um, yeah. Do you have anything else you want to cover on the podcast? Or are we done here? What are we thinking? That was a that was an awesome recording, Donnie. Always a pleasure to chat it up with you about sports and then finish it off with a great thought from Kiro. So really, really no complaints. Absolutely. Obviously, if you have listened all the way through this podcast, that means. That you should follow us on social media. Follow us at Roth Podcast, R O T H, Roadie on the horn. That's where that comes from. Roth Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Give us a follow on there. Love to interact with you guys. Love to get your questions. That's why we do these every podcast. Awesome stuff. Check West, of course. Come on the podcast. You guys know the rules. Been an awesome record. But yeah, Donnie, it's been a good one. Absolutely. We will talk to you again next week. And I hope that you really enjoy this. If you have any questions for us, please feel free to leave them. And we will talk to you again soon. Peace, everybody.